This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It's a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We, we do appreciate those of you who've tuned in to watch today, especially if this is your first time. Stay tuned today. We want to talk about real living. What's real living? How would you define it? How would you describe it? Real living. Stay tuned today as we discuss it. Now, we continue to offer a free Bible correspondence course, and we're going to pause just long enough that you can learn how you can receive it free of charge. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I'm going to be reading now from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse number 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and in and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Suppose I were to ask you, what's the best life? We all want a good life. We want the best life. What is the best life? Someone might say, well, now, you know, Brother Lambert, I think the best life is, is when you could really go and live on the beach. Yeah, a lot of people just think if they can just move to the beach and live on the beach, that would just be the best life a person could ever live. And somebody says, well, I think if you just had all the money that you could have, just money in abundance, that would be the best life that a person could live. Someone says, well, I think if you could travel, not only in the United States, but just travel in foreign countries. That, and just, that's, that's all you did, just travel. Maybe get you a boat, just, just go all over the world on your boat and travel all over the world. That'd be the best life. And someone else might say, if every day could just be like the weekend. I, I live for the weekends. I, that's the best life to me. Well, what is the best life? You know, if I had my life to live over again... I'd want to live it just like I have lived it, but I would try to not make as many of the mistakes that I've made because I believe the best life is a Christian life. 
I believe with all of my heart that the best life you'll ever live, that real living, is when you live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is addressing the church in Thessalonica in the verses that I've just read and explained how that, uh, that, that the gospel had had effect when it had been preached to them, so much so that they became examples to other people. They became examples to everyone in Macedonia, to everyone in Achaia, and not only there, but also in every place. Just imagine the influence of this church in Thessalonica. And so that he said, your faith toward God has gone out. That we don't have to say anything. The faith of the people in Thessalonica had spread. It had spread. It had gone out. Well, what was there about the church in Thessalonica that was so unusual? I want to suggest to you that the Thessalonians knew what real living was all about. They, they knew about real living. And there are three things that I'd like for us to observe from the verses that I just read to you that I think suggest to us what real living was, is all about for us today. Here's number one what we learn about them. Real living is a changed life. It is a changed life. You see, they turned from God to God from idols. They turned to God from idolatry. Now, idolatry is not just a thing of the past. No, absolutely not. Idolatry is alive and well today. You say, well, Brother Lambert, I've not seen any idols lately. Well, just think about it. What is an idol? An idol is anything that you spend more money, time, and attention, and, and, and love to than you do God. Anything that you put ahead of God, put ahead of the Lord Jesus Christ, put ahead of the living of the Christian life, has become an idol in your life. Man can make an idol out of himself. Paul, in writing about the last days in 2 Timothy chapter 3, said, in the last days, in the, uh, men will be lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. They'll make an idol out of self. There are some people actually made an idol out of money. As a matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, covetousness is referred to as being idolatry. And covetousness is when we have an inordinate desire for something. Jesus said, thou shalt not covet. You're not to covet your neighbor's wife. We ought not to covet things. In Luke 12 and 15, Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And so some people make an idol out of, worship, of money, and they worship money. That's why Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Either you hate the one, love the other, hold the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. And mammon is money. You can't bow down to the dollar bill and, and bow down to the Lord Jesus Christ at the same time. We make idols out of money. 
And that's why Paul said in 1 Timothy 6.10 that the love of money is the root of all evil. It's at the root of it, of all the evil, is greed. And yet some people have made an idol out of it. Some, some have made an idol out of pleasure and entertainment. It, there are certain pleasures that are good and wholesome. There are certain things that I find enjoyable. I find fishing enjoyable. I find walking enjoyable. But you can't make an idol. If you do something to the excess so that it prevents you from worshiping the Lord and serving the Lord and doing the Lord's work, then that thing that might be legitimate in, in, its, in moderation has become wrong because you've made an idol out of it. You knew you're worshiping it. We're not even to worship uh, 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 entertainment or things of a pleasurable nature. You see, Paul talked about people becoming lovers of pleasure. Lovers of pleasure. More than lovers of God in 2 Timothy chapter 3. You can make an idol out of it. Sometimes men worship education and they wor worship their academic achievements. They make an idol out of them. But what does God say? How does God feel about it? You see, this tells us that the Thessalonians turned to God from idols. Well, in Exodus 20 and verse 3, God said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We're not to have any kind of a God before him. Someone says, well, don't you think that he was talking about uh, uh, idols that men had made with their hands? Well, that would have been included. But what about an idol that's made in the shape of a, of a fishing rod? And a, and a man takes that fishing rod, and rather than worshiping the Lord on the Lord's day, he takes that fishing rod made out of fiberglass, and he goes fishing instead. He's bowing down to something else besides God. You say, I think you're going to the extreme. God said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. No other gods, nothing else comes before me. And my friends, our God is a jealous God. When that simply means that God will not allow anyone or anything to take his place. When Paul came into the city of Athens, he found idols aplenty. Oh, they were everywhere. He said, I perceive you're just become too religious. Everywhere Paul turned, he saw an idol. He even saw an idol with inscription to the unknown God. And Paul said, Him therefore whom you ignorantly worship, Him declare I unto you. And he talked about them, about the true God in whom we live, in whom we move, in whom we have our being. Idols. You see, the Thessalonians turn from idols. From idols. They turn from idols to serve God. To turn means to be converted. And in reality... Paul is saying the Thessalonians were converted to God from idolatry because the word convert simply means to change. Repent and be converted. That means to turn again. Acts 3.19. In, in Acts, uh, Matthew 18.3, Jesus said, Except you be converted and become as little children, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so the Thessalonians were converted. They turn from their idolatry and they turn to God. 
Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing? Wouldn't it be an encouraging thing? Wouldn't it be a marvelous thing if you could wake up tomorrow and the headlines in the paper and the, and the news all over the television and on the radio was this, that worldwide people have turned to God. People have turned from their idols. They've turned from their false gods. And they've turned to the true and the living God. Well, you see, I believe it made headlines in heaven when the Thessalonians turned to God from their idols. And that's the reason God saw and the Holy Spirit saw that we know about that today. They became Christians, New Testament Christians. In order to be converted to Jesus Christ, you must believe and in, in, in hear the gospel of Christ and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel, it is the power of God to save people. It saved the people of Thessalonica. Listen, listen to Paul in Romans 1 and verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, that is the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul wrote about the gospel to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Corinthians were saved when they heard and believed and obeyed the gospel. Uh, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which also you have received, wherein you stand, by which you're saved. If you keep in memory, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered unto you, first of all, how that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he arose again the third day according to the Scripture. Now let's analyze that. Paul said, I preached the gospel to you. And the gospel consisted of the facts about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And if you believe that gospel, you're saved by that gospel. Someone says, well, how do you obey facts? Well, let's just learn what those people did to obey the gospel. And we turn to the examples of conversion in the book of Acts. And in Acts the 18th chapter and verse number 8, we learn how the people of Corinth obeyed the gospel and were saved by the gospel. Many of the Corinthians, hearing, what did they hear? They heard the gospel. Believed, what did they believe? They believed the gospel and were baptized. Our Lord in Mark 16 verses 15 and 16 said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and he is baptized shall be saved. That's what the people in Corinth did to turn to Christ, to turn to God. And that's what the people of Thessalonica did. They obeyed the gospel. Over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, 8, and 9, this is what Paul wrote there. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them who know not God, and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. The, the Thessalonica, the people of Thessalonica had obeyed the gospel. You cannot turn from sin. You cannot turn from idolatry and turn to God without obeying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the final analysis of things, what will really matter is not how much money you had, how popular you were, how strong you were, how beautiful you were, what kind of a car you drove, what kind of a house that you lived, what color your skin was. The thing that will matter is what did you do about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what will matter.
And so the Thessalonica, uh, the people of Thessalonica had a changed life. And, and real living is when we change our lives and we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ because it gets us out of the sinning business. We turn from sin to Christ. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. And so when we do that, the old part of our life is gone. And we're now a new person in Jesus. Listen to what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ. Well, what is he in Christ, Paul? First of all, Paul, how did he get into Christ? Baptized into him, Galatians 3.27. And he said, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So in order that I might be that new creature in Jesus Christ, I'd be baptized into Christ. So now a lot real living is this changed life. Have you changed your life? Have you been converted? But real living is a serving life. You see, they turn from idols to serve the living and true God. To serve Him. And just like the people of Thessalonica, our serving becomes a work of faith. Theirs was a work of faith, and ours is a work of faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Faith without works is dead, being alone. And ours becomes a labor of love. Theirs was a labor of love. Ours is a labor of love. Why do we do what we do? Because we love God, because we love Jesus. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart. Thou, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. 1 John 5, 3. Ours becomes a work of faith. It becomes a labor of love. It becomes a patience of hope. It becomes a, an expectation of reward to come. And it's in the Lord Jesus Christ and it's in the sight of God. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 3. And so theirs was a changed life. There was a serving life. To serve the living God. You see, they had been worshiping a dead God. They had been worshiping idolatry. And that, that their idols could not speak. They could not see. They could not hear. They could not touch. They could not walk. They could not eat. They could not breathe. They were dead. Dead gods. And they turned to the living God. They turned to the God who is from everlasting to everlasting. They, they turned to the God who is above all and through all and in you all. They turn to the God in whom we live and move and have our very being. They turn to serve Him. And we are to serve. And not just to stand still. We're servants. Someone says, well, Brother Lambert, uh, who do you really think is the greatest person alive today? Who do you think is the greatest person who's ever lived? 
Or if we were to begin to talk about in the religious realm today and, and even among churches of Christ, who do you think is the greatest person in the church of Christ today? And it might shock you as the answer I might give you. Because possibly in the sight of God, the greatest person in the church of Christ is a relatively unknown person. A person who goes quietly about their business like Jesus going about doing good, Acts 10, 38. Just serving. You know, there was a discussion that arose among the disciples on one occasion. This is recorded in the 20th chapter of Matthew about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Well, who's the greatest in the kingdom? The best speaker? The one who has the greatest knowledge of the Bible? Is it the person with more education than anybody else? Is it the person who, who's able to win arguments using the Bible? Is that the greatest person of the kingdom? J Jesus said, if you want to be great, the greatest person in the kingdom is the person who becomes a servant. The Son of Man did not come to be served. He came to be, to be waited upon hand and foot. Jesus came to be a servant to many people. He became to be a servant of the human race. He emptied Himself in the form of a servant, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and following. Jesus was humble and Jesus was a servant. Greatest person is a person who serves God out of love. Not, not out of fear. We fear God, respect God. But it's not a fear of going to hell that I serve God. No, no. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10 said, By the grace of God I, I am what I am. And he said, not I, but the grace of God that, that, that I labored more abundantly than they all. He said, it was not, uh, uh, not only did I work more than all the rest, but he said it was the grace of God that was his motivation. When we stop and think about how gracious God has been, how good God has been, how could we not want to serve him today? How could a person say no to a God who gives them air to breathe and sunshine to enjoy and rain to replenish the earth, to give them homes and families and give Jesus on the cross? How could we not want to serve Him? The best life, the real living, is when we make up our minds we want to change. And that we want to turn to God. We want to turn to Jesus. We want to turn to salvation. We want to turn to, to, to the church. We want to turn to those things that are good and righteous and holy. And we want to get out of the depth and the pit of sin. And we want to change our lives. That's exactly what the Thessalonians did. They turned from their idols to serve God. And the, the real living is when we make up our minds, we want to serve Him. But then real living is when we're waiting for the Lord to come back. As Paul put it in, Colos in, in 1 Thessalonians, to wait for His Son from heaven. Are you waiting? A lot of people live their lives right now as though they don't ever expect Jesus to come back. The way they live their lives, 
They're unprepared for him to come back. They're not ready for him to come back. But he promised he would. He said to his disciples, and they were heartbroken because they knew Jesus was going away. They didn't quite understand everything. And, and Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. So you see, he promised to come back. That's, it's going to be a glorious appearing. In Titus 2.13, Paul said this, going to be the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can you think about that day? Glorious appearing. And he's going to come back just like he left. Acts 1.11, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up in the heaven? This same Jesus whom you have seen, seen taken up into heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. He's coming back like he left. He'll come back with his angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them who know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Someone says, Brother Lambert, do you have any idea when that's going to happen? You say, you know, with all the world events today, it just seems like the end may be getting nearer. Well, see, that's from a strictly from a human standpoint that we assume that. The fact is, no one knows when Jesus is coming back. Jesus said of that day and hour knows no one. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And even the Lord himself does not know. God only, the Father is the only one who has that information. And so let's not be out here telling people that the end is just around the corner because we don't know when the end is coming. That's God's business. And regardless of what circumstances may arise in life, we cannot predict His coming. So what we ought to do in the meantime, as we live the real life, is to wait for His Son from heaven. And you know what that really means? Just to live every day as though that were the day Jesus was coming back. And, and if I'm living this good life, the best life, real life, I'll be ready. I'll be ready. Are you ready? Ha have you turned from your sin to God and to serve Him? I'd encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you and invite you to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And right now, won't you please pick up the telephone, call for the free Bible correspondence course. It'll tell you about real living. It'll help you to know how to get the most out of life. We want you to have it. And you might be able to take it online as well. I want to thank you for watching. Till we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.org. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible at golftel.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214.
Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.